Welcome to Art Related Noise, the podcast of the Art Republic Gallery in Brighton. In this episode, we speak to Ewan Roberts, an illustrator turned painter. His work is bright, quirky and packed full of symbolism and motifs. What's more, he's also an alumni of the Art Republic Gallery, crediting the space as helping to solidify the direction he wanted to go in in terms of his art. Speaking to him on the opening of Joyride, his solo exhibition at the Waluso Gallery in Hoxton, he talks to us about his art, being vegan, and how his work is like an art hug of colour. This is Art Related Noise. We started experimenting with painting. There's so many avenues of art. We're surrounded by images. Just being lost in this sea of possibility. Announcing that I was going to be an artist. It brings the work I do alive even more. They could be part of this work as well. Everyone's got their own personal connection to something. Ewan, can you tell me something about your work first of all? We're sitting in the uh, a gallery, we've got a show of yours coming up, the Waluso Gallery in yeah. Hoxton. We're sitting in a room and it's full of this vibrant, multicoloured work. Can you tell us something a bit about what we're looking at? I'd say the thing that kind of unifies all my work is, first of all, the colour. It's um, obsessed with bright, vibrant colours. There's a kind of feeling, for me, of optimism. That's what I try and convey. Even in some of the darker scenes, when things can look a bit sombre, depressing, there's an unseen kind of resilience and hopefulness behind it. At least that's my intention when I make the pieces. But really, I just want people, they don't have to like the work at all. I just want them to see that I had fun making it. It does look like you had a lot of fun making these. You seem to have quite a, I don't know, a bright imagination. <laughs> Definitely, like for me, getting to paint is like a real privilege. For me, I try, I try and make it so, take away all of the stress associated with making new art. I do a lot of drawings, a lot of sketches, just free doodles and things. And if they work at a really small scale, then I have a kind of trust that they're gonna turn into like a half decent painting. So it's not like, oh, there's a white canvas, I'm really like freaking out about what I'm gonna do. It's like, okay, sketchbook, you've got to this point where this image like works for you. There's something about it. So it's just kind of picking the right colors and conveying that in a painting. And if it doesn't work out, then no one's died. <laughs> a bad painting never killed anyone. Just move on to the next one. And mm. then you, I kind of get something that I like out of it. And where do you get your, your ideas from? Because I'm looking at, uh, at some of the, the pieces around. I've got, you know, there's basketball themes. There's a few crabs here. <laughs> there's random crabs that seem to be uh, around and snakes and stuff. Well, where do you get your ideas from? They're all kind of personal themes, really. Crabs, for for example, something that you mentioned, I mean, you can see one there. I think growing up, I was kind of afraid of crabs, but now I see them as a, they're like an emblem of resilience in my work. They just kind of mind their own business. They move sideways. They're almost like a kind of passive creature. They always seem a bit scared, but they've got these big claws. So they are equipped to defend themselves or attack. I think as a visual device, I like giving them things to hold, like cigarettes or knives or, things that belong with us humans. So immediately we're gonna project human qualities onto another creature. So that's why I do crabs. I mean, basketball, I played basketball growing up, but like other artists have used basketball motifs like Jeff Koons has famous floating basketballs. 
Jonas Wood is an art, uh, artist who does a lot of work with basketballs. For me, I kind of, I use the elongated, almost exaggerated net. That's my main motif. And again, that's kind of putting this human quality. They always look quite lonely, stoic kind of thing standing there. And basketball is all about chance and percentages. So a lot of it is about, is the ball going to go in, missing, and then kind of projecting human emotions on top of that. So a lot of them are called I Miss You. That one's called I Miss You Constantly. And again, suddenly it kind of changes from a very upbeat image. The title adds a sort of sadness, poignancy to it. Gives a different perspective, because just to describe what we're looking at, it is a giant red canvas with a with a quite, now that you've described it, I'm seeing it as a, as a lonely, elongated sort of basketball, um, what do you call it, like hoop or? Yeah, like the yeah, hoop, hoop, the net. Or the net, um, the goal. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, the goal. The, and then around it, there's loads of, yeah, sort of missed, missed ba basketballs. But yeah, you put that perception on it and I suppose it is, yeah, it does look quite lonely. Mm. You, you've also got, um, you do ceramics as well. And, and I, I am noticed and quite a lot of snakes around yeah. in your work. I do repeat myself on purpose a lot in my work. I think it comes, behind, comes from this idea of having your own visual language. I don't know, like for a kind of metaphor, like a lot of bands will use the same chords in every song and that's just their like go-to or they'll have like a certain effects. Like for example, if you listen to like the Smiths and you hear like a Johnny Marr riff, you know that kind of jangly sound, that's him. So if I put like snakes around, you know that's me. So that's your three chord riff. That's yeah. your go-to, is it? <laughs> yeah, snakes, basketballs, I'm okay, uh, those kind of things. The snakes, so my mum is like terrified of snakes. So when I was a kid, I remember having a plastic snake that I'd throw on the floor. She'd get really scared. And then I had never seen a snake in real life until I went to India and I saw like a fucking massive snake. I didn't really want to tell my girlfriend because we were staying in these huts and it was just, it seemed a bit like she's gonna freak out. So I didn't tell her until we were on the flight home and she just didn't believe me and didn't really care. But I saw this very big snake. But I just think they're beautiful. They move so weirdly. We're kind of programmed to be afraid of them because they're so unlike how we would naturally move. But again, they're just doing their thing. Like they're just out there in the world trying to survive like us and unless provoked, they're unlikely to attack. And you mentioned the I'm okay motifs as well. You've got a number of pieces which seem to represent a hand um, holding up a sign saying, I'm okay. And, and that's repeated a number of times in your work as well. Yeah, that's been like really, really popular since I came up with it. Normally it's in the sea. The hand is poking out of the sea. And again, that's another personal piece. Like I came up with that. It was originally a collage, just like a rough kind of cut out paper thing. And it comes from asking my girlfriend at the end of the day when I'd see her, like, how was your day? How are you? That kind of thing. And she would always reply and go, I'm okay, like that. And it had like a specific cadence and it became like a kind of catchphrase that we'd go, I'm okay. And then she would go on to explain how she really was. Obviously the I'm okay sign is just saying one thing, but when it's hands coming out of the sea, like the visual uh, metaphor, the kind of punchline, says this person really isn't okay, or they're not expressing themselves fully. So as a result, it's been used by, well, it's been used in conjunction with like mental health charities and just shared by people. People have bought the print who've gone through a hard time or suffered loss or anything. And it's just kind of resilience. It's like a joke. 
primarily like all the pieces, but there's like truth behind it. And it's kind of saying like, we can present one thing when really it's obvious that I'm not okay. So maybe we should delve deeper or open up and express more. And for me, I think originally it's obviously, it's me because all of the work is coming from me and it's the sea would be Brighton Beach. Like that was the original one, even though it's like pink skies and looks like the Caribbean. It's like just me submerged like off the West Pier, like <laughs> just there in the ocean. So you think that people would, and yourself to some extent, you can, you can look at that, I'm okay. And, and is it a reminder sometimes that you might think actually we've all got you know, challenges and issues and actually you can look at that and, and everyone's maybe in that in the Brighton Pier sometimes, metaphorically at least. Mm. And uh, maybe it's okay to speak to somebody or say how you really are. Oh yeah, 100%. Like, I want to create pictures that people will look at and it will give them a feeling of strength. So it's like a visual mantra to be, or to almost say like, you know, I understand. I understand that things aren't always gonna be good. You can have shit days, it's okay not to be okay. All of these kind of mental health positive attitudes that people are kind of shifting towards. And I think my work fits into that without being really like kind of cliche or overly sweet. It's not in your face, that is it? It's not in your face at all, but mm. it is something that people can just see and maybe take a little bit of assurance from, perhaps. Yeah. Is, that, is that a subject you've been interested, you're interested in then, mental health? Yeah, I think, well, it's not like something I've really kind of pushed aggressively in the work, but I think naturally, because I'm trying to deal with human emotions, it's something that just kind of comes up appropriately sometimes. Um, and if people, which they have in the past, have contacted me and said, like I made one piece for my friend who was going through like a really tough time, and he said that it has like a very special place in his heart and he looks at it every day, like wow, I'm incredibly lucky that I can make objects that have this response with people. It must be nice to have a, a piece of work in someone's home that people look at and there's a resonance there. It must be quite a nice feeling to have that. Yeah, like beyond anything else, like. No matter how much, you know, if you, you want your work to sell for loads of money and do all this stuff and be famous, but if someone owns it, regardless of the price, it's amazing because they've chosen to give you their money for something that you've just come up with. And then if it has like a special meaning, then it's like you've created like a sacred object, which is like really, really cool to be able to do that. So when did you decide, what was your background in art? How did you get involved in, in art in the first place? Tell me something about you and how you started. Well, I've always been, I think everyone's always creative when they're a kid because it's just like, you're free, you're not like tainted with <laughs> real life and pressures and expectations. So you just draw and have fun. The earliest piece I did was a drawing on the underside of my parents' kitchen table, which they still have, which was like little weird potato-headed people and kind of scribbles and it's on a beautiful like handmade table so maybe when I have a big like Tate retrospective they can have that table they can flip it upside down and put it in like a Perspex box and it'll be <laughs> like my people will piece. be queuing around the block. Yeah. Um, but yeah I always made art I mean I got <clears throat> you speak to a lot of street art and graffiti people and I tried street art when I was about 10 and I got caught by the police during a camel on a wall in a park 
and got taken home and that was like the end of my street was, art career. Was that your tag, the camel? Yeah, like other people wrote like bubble letters and stuff. I just, I was like, I don't know what to draw. Draw a camel in a hot air balloon, which is like so abstract and just weird. And then the policeman caught me and was like, told me off and it was very embarrassing. And that, that was it, your, your graph career was, yeah, was done it was dead. that point. It was completely dead. It was like, why would I do, why would I draw outside on stuff? You just get caught in the middle of the day and then you look stupid and then your parents tell you off. But my dad took a photo of it and years later I found the photo like in a drawer. So he must have thought, he was like, it was either evidence or, I think he painted over it actually. <laughs> But yeah, my graffiti career was short-lived. But yeah, I just made art and then did art college, went to City College in Brighton, did art foundation, went to Manchester Uni, did illustration, and then started painting after that. What was the impetus to, to, to pick up the, the paintbrush then? Because if you were if you'd started doing illustration and, uh, yeah. and, and going in that direction. I don't think I was a very good illustrator because I didn't like when you sent the thing off and you get an email back saying, can you change this? Can you make this banker's pig head a bit bigger? And then I'm thinking, I thought the head, like, it's fine. It looks great. I didn't like the fact that you have to change what you do and respond to the brief. I would just do the thing and then think that's the end of it. So I didn't really do illustration for very long. I started painting because I lived in this Guardian property building in Soho and we had an enormous space where we basically decided to decorate it a bit. So I bought some little canvases and started painting there. And they were just kind of crude, rubbish things. But I, really, I enjoyed the fact that I'd get home from work and it would just be there, like half finished, like kind of mocking me. And I would just get the paint out and just do a bit every day. And then suddenly I had three. And I thought if I have 20, then I'm a real painter then. So is there something about the restriction I'm hearing, this move from illustration to more painting? You felt restricted, but now this is a bit freer? Yeah, this is totally free. Like, I can just pick whatever I want, subject matter, colours, scale, illustration. For me, I, have, like, I could talk for ages about how I think art is really poorly taught in universities. And it's just, it's all about going down one path, like, graphic design or illustration or fine art painting or sculpture and then getting spat out the end in loads of debt like to completely out of love of what you actually did originally and then just kind of I don't know you're almost trying to trying to love art again but a lot of people just decide it's not for me I'm gonna get a different job and then it's like your creativity which was blooming for years it's just suddenly dead and then it, it kind it's of... It's been sort of knocked out of you. Yeah, exactly. And then with the debt as well, you just associate it with, oh, how am I going to get a job? And it's not like I'm going to make art for my entire life. It's like, I need to get a job now. I need to get some money. Uh, so you, you mentioned Brighton a few times. Yeah. Um, and obviously this is Art Related Noise, the podcast for the Art Republic Gallery. And I, I understand you used to work there as well. Yeah, I used to work there. They, it's like working there is a big, important chapter in my artistic career because after uni I worked in a Korean restaurant that I think is still there called Namul and I used to make bibimbaps and then I worked in like an off license in Kemptown which was two like weird part-time jobs 
And I got talking to the owner, Lawrence, like he used to come in and eat noodles and he'd always want like a half portion. I think he was on a diet or something. We talk about art. And then he told me he had a gallery and I had no idea there was a gallery in the lanes. I think I'd just never been in there. So I ended up working there, met loads of artists, got introduced to the commercial art world. And then from there, I kind of worked out a place for me and where I could fit in and where I could kind of not like make a living. I could make like a few pounds, sell a few prints and just slowly build momentum. And it was really transformative and it really opened my eyes to people who make art and have fun and can afford to live. So this was quite a formative period then for you. Was this, was this when, you were, when, you, when you were working at the gallery and you had all these artists and you were coming into contact with them and, and seeing all this, this, uh, this great work that you would think actually this is this maybe solidified the way that you wanted to go? Yeah, like I remember just seeing artists would come in with their new prints and I didn't know anything about prints at all. I, kind of, I made some prints at the end of uni and then that was it, but I didn't realise people would actually buy them. I thought it was some sort of like mad fluke. And I remember Noah Taylor had a show at the gallery in London and he came in with this stack of drawings that was like probably 30 or 40 and they were just really simple black ink on paper. And he'd left the price of all the paper on, so he was like rubbing them out as he signed them. And they were just so raw and like really simple. And they were thinking about, they're working out the framing for the London show. And then they all got framed up and I went and saw the show. Just seeing the artist come in with the stack of paper to a commercial gallery to selling the work, it kind of just linked all the steps together for me. So I thought I'll have a bit of that and <laughs> eventually kind of got to a place where I could have shows and make work. And just, I think you just have to, it takes a long time to just find your voice as an artist. You start off just making crap, like, but I think you've got to make all that crap. You can't just go, I'm going to start really good now and I'm going to have a sellout show because invariably what you make will be a bit rubbish. One thing that I like to ask is about, um, in, you know, influences that you, you may have had, like a show, an artist, uh, you know, just a, a moment in terms of your artistic development, which you look back on now and you think, yeah, yeah, that, that has resonance for me. I'd say when I lived in Soho and I went to see this Danny Fox show, he's a painter I really like. I went along and all the show was sold out on the opening night, like they had all these pre-sales and he was there like a kind of cool rock star figure and there was all these cool people. And I looked at the paintings really closely and I thought I could see all the layers of paint and the decisions that he'd made kind of stylistically. And I just thought it looked like a lot of fun to make work on that scale with that amount of paint and be that free. So that really informed me. And I thought, this looks like someone having fun first and foremost. And then they have like a big private view and like all his mates are there. I thought it's just like a very sociable thing. So that, and also when um, there was this show at the Hayward Gallery, on the South Bank? Yeah, it was before it shut. There was like this Tracy Emmons show. And I remember I'd always kind of liked her work, but going to that and just seeing the amount of work she had made and the sheer scale and just how different all the things were. There was this thing where it was like a thousand drawings or something and just the volumes of, of kind of creativity. Like I don't, I kind of prefer her as an artist than all of her work, but 
again, just a retrospective of any artist. I think she's probably like 50 now, like in her 50s. But just looking back from kind of 20 to 50, the amount of work that she made, and I thought just like, that's really inspiring, regardless of what people think, because everyone has opinions, like saying, oh, the bed's not art, which is, it's like really, really good art. But just being so defiant and just saying like, nothing was gonna slow me down, I'm just gonna keep making stuff. The people who I care about their opinions, I will hear and the rest will just be background noise. And what, what sort of, so you're going into a show, some shows like the ones that you mentioned there, what, what emotions do you have when you go into those environments and you see this mass body of work or this, these, these pieces that you look up and you think, yeah, that's, that's really hitting home to me. What emotions do you have when you go into a space like that? I kind of think about the, the potential it takes, like human potential of what we're capable of doing and how like if you didn't get out of bed on that day you might not have made that canvas and if you didn't do that for like two months you might not have made like the body of work so every single piece of creativity or art is just like making decisions and about momentum so for me when i go to a show i just think wow this was all conceived in someone's brain and in their heart and at some point it was just an idea and they probably doubted themselves incredibly at some point and thought, wow, I'm really not that good at this. But they just carried on. And now they got to this point where it just seems like it's easy, they're just like channeling all this great art just comes out. But I think everyone at some point will question what they're doing. Like, regardless if you're an artist or a teacher or a bank or whatever, you'd be like, am I doing the right thing? I think for art particularly, because you don't, it's so solitary. So I think of the artists just getting to the studio and they've got like all the canvases and then they just attack it and go for it and they just make something good and now I'm seeing it or someone's bought it and then it's gonna go off and it's gonna have its own life and it kind of doesn't stop being a bit of art. You just kind of let go and then one day you might see it again or it might just get end up in a skip. <laughs> you know, when you're saying that, I'm thinking back to your, your I'm okay uh, motif. And then also thinking of the imposter syndrome where you might, yeah. you might think, you know, what am I doing here? How am I going to create this show? Or how am I going to get out of bed and just do this? Who's going to buy it in the first place? Do you, do you mm. ever get that? And how do you over, overcome it? Yeah, I get that. I think sometimes I look at the stuff and think, wow, this is all crap. And then other times when I'm doing it, I'm like, wait, I am a great artist. This is so easy. And then you just like fluctuate between the two constantly. But I think just not taking it too seriously. Like taking yourself very seriously in the art and creative process, but the actual objects, like some aren't gonna be good. Some people love the crap ones. Some people hate the ones you think are amazing. And it's just like doing it and then not obsessing about it. Like I think Tom Sachs, an artist I love, said the reward for good work is getting to make more good work, which I really believe in. So I think if I make something and it's really cool or really bad, it doesn't really matter because it's not really up to me. So long as I enjoy making it, then I'm winning this whole process because I'm the artist, I make the painting, and then someone else sells it and then someone else enjoys it. So I get to make another one. I, I say I just try and remove myself from getting too obsessed with it, which is hard because if when you're obsessed with painting and art, you think about it all the time, which isn't healthy. Or, a lot of the time, but what, yeah. what, do you, what do you distract yourself with um, away from the art? 
I don't know. <laughs> you, you mentioned music earlier. Is, is that is that a is that a thing? Yeah, like there's always music on in the studio. I'm really bad at like navigating music. There's so much new stuff constantly coming out that I probably will not hear until it's like been around for a while, and I'll just play like Led Zeppelin four again, and just go like, you don't really need to listen to Led Zeppelin four again. You know all these songs. So yeah, music. I love to cook. Like I'm obsessed with cooking. That's actually a really nice thing. Like after a day in the studio, coming home and just oil crushed garlic, and then you've just got like a great smell and basis to make pretty much anything nice. I suppose that's that's sort of really engaging. Those that sense of smell, a, a different sense to what you've been working with. Yeah. In terms of in the studio, and you, you suddenly you're sort of full of this aroma. There's some, there's a meme that says like oh, that smells great or something. And it's just like oil, garlic, onions and salt. <laughs> it's like you haven't even cooked anything yet. But I do, I really like getting in the kitchen. And what, do you, what do you cook? Uh, well, as this is like a kind of Brighton-based podcast, I feel in a safe space to say that I am vegan. <laughs> and because I know in Brighton, like everyone's basically vegan now. So <laughs> I do, I cook vegan food and I'm, obsessed with just like delicious Indian vegan food, Asian, Southeast Asian. You can get some really imaginative vegan food now, I think. I'm like an advocate for like veganism. It's not cool because people are like, I don't know, it's a bit cliche. I don't know, we're in the East End of London. It's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> cool here. That's where we're meeting today. Yeah. It's it pretty is. cool here too. And like actually tomorrow at the Private View, we're getting vegan pizza because it's like in a kind of petulant, it's my show, I can do what I want. Like, I will have, everyone will have a few drinks and I think it's important to have a little bit of like food to soak it up. But also, I like just to feed people in general. Like I'm kind of into that. And just a final word on the, on the colors that you use. How do you choose your colors? What, tell me something more about, because they're really bright. They're, yeah. They're striking. I think, again, that goes back to when I did illustration. It was all black and white. I love just vibrant colours. Like, that, the pink of a lot of the canvases is a colour called pigtail pink, which is probably my favourite colour in the world. I do like colours that just play off each other. And I think as soon as you start putting colours down, then you've all, you haven't got a good painting, but you've got a solid foundation to build upon. And if you've got something to say on top of that, it kind of makes sense. Like if they're all like muddy brown and like weird purples, then I don't think my work would feel as, I don't know, kind of honest to how I want it to, the emotions I want to get across. But I like the idea of making kind of big bouncy things. Yeah, I'm just obsessed though with, with like bright colors. And it's also, I think as I've got older, like before I would only wear like monochrome. <laughs> And now I still do, but I'll have like like a really bright orange, like the jacket I was wearing earlier, or yellow. I don't know. I think she so likes to put a dash of colour in your life. Yeah, that is weird. I don't know. It's just like just I don't know. Being an artist and looking at tubes of paint and being like, oh my god, this red is going to be amazing. Can't wait to use it. Nerding out about different hues a bit. I think it's quite instinctual with these works. It's never a case of oh these two. I go to um, B&Q as well, get a lot of colour samples and I think that helps because I just get a stack of them and just hold two together and think, oh, that works. If it makes my eye feel interested, does something, I don't know, brain reset. So I just know. 
yeah. yeah. It's like, it just vibrates in a certain way. And then I know it's going to look pretty cool when I put it down. And I don't have too many. There's probably like three or four max per canvas. So there's not a lot of like clashing going on. It's just, I mean, like an art hug of color. I love that art hug of color. <laughs> I love that. Is, is that how you hope people, I mean, we are literally in an art hub hug of color as we speak, because your paintings are all around. How do you think people will, how do you want people to feel when they come in and see a, a room full of your work like this? I want them to feel just a bit more energized than like the minute before they came in. I just want it to turn up the volume of life a tiny bit. I don't profess to think that my art is just, someone will see it, it will just change their life forever. But if they just feel a bit more of a spring in their step, like a little pat on their back, maybe their posture gets a bit better, their chest opens and they're just like, oh wow, this is like actual fun art. I don't want people to have to think they need a degree to understand it because there's a place for that kind of art and it's like, it's not a place that I really want to visit, to be honest. I just want it to be like fun, kind of like a golden retriever bounding towards you with like an idiotic smile on its face. That's how I want people to perceive my art. Give them a big art hug. Yeah. With a big bounding art dog. But then the dog is kind of, it might have like a bit of a sneaky vibe to it. Like it might have, I don't know, try and trip you up it might pretend like it's going to bite you, but then it just smiles because there's a bit of a sinister quality with a lot of the work. But really, it, it's just a painting, like it's not real life. Ewan, thanks very much for talking to Art Related Noise. Oh, pleasure. Thank you too. Shout out Art Republic. Word up, Art Republic. <laughs> <laughs>